Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 52. My name is Dwayne Osterlund, and I'm your host, and I'm also the co-founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's difficulties, please reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. Here is an episode. I, To be honest, I was not even sure I wanted to air this episode or to put it out there. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart and I definitely have personal experience with. Today, we're going to talk about fat shame and the obesity epidemic. And growing up as a chubby kid, I can definitely relate to this article and relate to what Michael Hobbs was talking about. And it just struck a deep chord with me when I read his article in the Huffington Post and I asked him to come on the podcast, which was a, a big thing for me to do because I definitely, this is, an, this is an issue that is close to my heart and I definitely understand it. So, but I just said, what the hell, I'm gonna do it. And so here it is. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Michael Hobbs, and he is a reporter for the Huffington Post and also does the podcast, You Are Wrong About That. Michael, you wanna introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Sure, I'm a reporter for the Huffington Post. I write mostly long form articles, but I also do some shorter stuff. My podcast is actually called You're Wrong About, but if people are searching for it, they'll find it anyway. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, and that's about, that's about it. And I wrote this big article on the obesity epidemic and the ways in which we are wrong about it. And 
the last week has been a special kind of hell as my inbox and my Twitter mentions have exploded. I would imagine because I reached out to you as well. <laughs> I, I read your article and I would encourage anybody to look at it because it really spoke to me on a very personal level, having struggled with obesity. And I think a lot of my listeners who struggle with addiction deal with obesity as a problem. But you really touched on the part that I think sometimes is really invisible about struggling with obesity. And so I hope we can talk more about that. But first, I kind of want to know what made you decide to want to write this article? Like what was, what kind of got you going? I mean, it's funny thinking about that because it's just been something I have a chip on my shoulder about for a really long time because I saw the way that my mom was treated my whole life. My mom has struggled with her weight for her whole life and my whole life. And it was just something that I saw how hard she was trying. I saw the way that she ate and that she was always on a diet and always exercising and always thinking about it and feeling bad about herself for it. And then in public, she would get nasty comments and I would get comments from my friends when she would pick me up from school. And it was this very public struggle that she had. And yet behind the scenes, I saw that like she's a nice person. She's she's a good person. It's weird that she's getting devalued like that. And in my childlike mind, it just seemed unfair to me that she's trying really hard and nobody's giving her any credit for it. And the message is always, she should be trying harder. Right. So what did you do? Did you just start talking to people when you started to write this article or, or did you start reaching out to people and say, I want to know more about this? Well, it's been something I've been obsessed with for years, this issue. And it's weird because as a non-fat person, it's actually really rare to like that people who look like me are nice to fat people. And it was always something that I noticed. I um I told the story on my own podcast of being on a date with this dude who made some fat phobic comment halfway through the date and I just left. And I've heard tons of people feel safe saying fat phobic shit to me and it drives me insane. And the way that we talk about Donald Trump and the way that we talk about Chris Christie with these miserable like vaudeville 1950s fat jokes when we're talking about corrupt politicians and people whose actions really hurt people. And then when we when it comes time to insult them or when it comes time to really stick the knife in them, what do we do? We, we talk about their weight. Which is just Which that's is kind of crazy. Where, why, why, you know, what is that? That's why is that the worst thing about them? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's always something that people feel like when somebody who's not fat brings it up, it's always like this weird, oh, what a weird, quirky thing that you have. You're nice to fat people and you take this issue seriously. And it's so rare that non fat people actually feel strongly about this issue or even make basic humanizing statements about fat people. It's it's something I've noticed my whole life. And I finally talked my, it took me three years to talk my editors into letting me write about this story. So the story was not assigned to me. This is something that I've been talking to my editors about for years. And it's really hard to write about this issue because we hear the same story over and over and over again, right? That the numbers are going up and children and the food supply. And, you know, it's, it's always the same story. And my editors were a little skeptical that I could say anything new about this. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we just don't hear stories from fat people. We just don't hear the voices of fat people in media or people talking about how hard it is. And we don't really listen to those people. Right. And so that was what I wanted to do was try to make these ideas a little bit more mainstream that it's actually okay to be nice to people <laughs> regardless of their body size. <laughs> right. And so what you're really kind of talking about is that fat shaming. And for people who struggle with obesity, 
I think what your article did is really put in the nuance of what it's like to deal with that, to deal with being fat or overweight or obesity and kind of all the things that come at you from society about that and how you have to live with all that kind of shame projected on you and then internalized as well. I also think it's really interesting the ways that fat shaming works. And my inbox the last week has been a great example of this where you know, you start talking about, hey, let's be nice to fat people. And you expect to get some of those emails that are like, ah, fat people are lazy, man, they're disgusting, like whatever. There are jerks in the world. Fine, I expected those emails. But the vast majority of the pushback emails and the critical emails about the article were actually diet advice. That there's people, and you hear this from fat people all the time, that they'll write online of, you know, somebody was mean to me on an airplane or something very human. And their inbox blows up with, oh, you should try the keto diet. It's just calories in, calories out. Have you tried this thing? I went vegan and I lost 60 pounds. And it really is a form, it's a form of fat shaming that is somehow socially acceptable to talk to somebody. I was just doing this live radio interview the other day on one of these East Coast stations. And one of the callers called in and said, no, what fat people really need is to stop drinking sodas. And these really simplistic messages. And it's like, That's fat shaming, dude, to assume that every fat person doesn't know that sodas are bad for them or is drinking five sodas. There's tons of fat people that aren't drinking sodas, and there's tons of skinny people that are drinking sodas. And it's really not acceptable to make assumptions about other people's diet and exercise habits that you've never met. I mean, it's completely nuts. And so it's actually been, you know, I, as a thin person, I get 100th of the kind of abuse that fat people get when they write about this issue. But my inbox has been an interesting little glimpse into what it's like to try to speak about these issues in a humanizing way that your inbox just explodes with these, no, try this diet. And if only they knew this, they would change, da, da, da. And it's it's just weird that people hold on to that. And people who struggle with obesity already know all this stuff, you know? I mean, and I would get that all the time, you know, from people with giving me these unsolicited advice about my weight. And I don't even know you. Has that you happened know? to you? Don't even, oh, yes, definitely. Where does it happen? Like, where does it, where do people do that? How do people do that? Well, I think for me, if you're out somewhere or doing something and the weight, the topic comes about weight. There's always this assumption of like, well, have you tried this? Or uh-huh. skinny people kind of say that to you, or it's always just there, present, if that makes sense. And so you always kind of feel it. You're always kind of feeling it. One of the things you said that really kind of struck me, you said, I've never written a story where so many of my sources cried during interviews, yeah. where they shook with anger, describing their interactions with doctors and strangers in their own families. What was that like for you to like start to get into these stories and hear what's going on? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's just a really emotional issue for a lot of people. And, you know, you start talking to people about this stuff. You know, I would, I would put out calls on Facebook, or I would reach out through friends of friends and say, if you don't mind me talking to you, I promise to quote you anonymously. I promise to show you the sections of the article where you're quoted to make sure I'm not accidentally identifying you. I was trying really hard to be very respectful of people's stories. And people would get in touch with me and tell me these 
insane stories. And then they would tell me, you know, my wife doesn't know about this. My husband doesn't know about this. I tried talking about this with my mother and I can't, you know, and they're crying because, I mean, one guy told me the last person he spoke to about this before me was a therapist five years ago. And he hasn't spoken to his wife about it. He hasn't spoken to anybody about it. And he's telling me how he constantly thinks about his weight. He can't look in the mirror without crying. And it's something that he's going through alone. And I think that's a a real sense that people have where oftentimes when you speak up about this, when you speak up about the discrimination that you're experiencing, people don't believe you. And so you just stop bringing it up after a while that I heard so many stories from people. Well, I think it also goes, it's not just that they don't believe you, it's that you deserve it. Totally, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, well, if you listen to the guy, the random guy on the street telling you not to drink sodas, maybe you wouldn't have this problem. I mean, there's this this really paternalistic and really negative attitude that we have toward this. And I just think it creates this sense where a lot of uh, the folks I interviewed said that they feel this pressure to be the good fatty, quote unquote, in public, that they have to eat salads. They One woman said she never eats anything with her hands. Another person says, you know, she's doing online dating as everybody is now. And she said she'll never eat in front of a guy that she's dating for five, six, seven dates because she doesn't want him to see her because that's like not a thing that fat people are allowed to do in public. And that's so, it's just so negative. It's like, you don't feel comfortable doing normal, you know, something that everybody else can do without a second thought. All of a sudden you're like, well, is anybody looking at me across the restaurant? Is the sauce dripping from my fingers when I'm eating this? I mean, just this surveillance of yourself and this feeling that everyone else is surveilling you it's just a really, like, it's really bad for you. And so what researchers keep saying is that that's actually maybe worse for you than obesity, that, you know, living, feeling like a pariah and feeling rejected by people is extremely bad for you. And we know this of chronic poverty. We know this of other conditions that living under constant low-grade stress is really bad for you. And that really is what it's like to be a larger person, especially in certain situations where, you know, people objectively are judging you. That's not that's not all in your head. It's definitely not all in your head. I mean, I've experienced it. I, I remember once I was out, uh, I'm training for a half marathon. And, you know, I'm probably, at the time, I was probably 20 or 30 pounds overweight. And someone drives by and goes, keep it up, fatso. No way. And oh. you're just like, I mean, you're devastated by that. Awful. That comment. And it's so hurtful. And it, it really eats at your self-esteem because you're getting it all the time and you're hearing and like you said you know other politicians that are obese and and you're hearing the negativity that goes to them and you're like i don't want to receive that what do i do how do i how do i not seem that way or whatever but you, you know it's part of you and so learning you know it's for me it's taken me a long time and i'm still working on it but learning to just love myself as i am or however and work on my health yeah it's really it's really hard i mean this we're not getting these messages of it's okay to be whatever size you are. I mean, that's not something that's not something doctors ever tell people. That's not something that our parents often are telling us or our friends or public health campaigns that are using, you know, if you drink sodas, you'll become fat. You think about 10-year-old fat kid looking at that, and he's like, well, why are you warning other people that they might look like me? I mean, you just think about how hurtful that is to see these public health campaigns. But that is our entire discourse around this issue, is that we should make people as afraid as possible of looking like 30% of the population. We're, we're, we're throwing that 30% of the population under the bus in order to change what we consider to be the habits of 
the 70% of the population, but we're never telling them, you know, it's fine to, (laughs) it's fine to be whatever size you are. It's fine. Even if your habits aren't great, none of us have perfect habits. It's just let other people live. It's, it's weird that we think we need to have these messages or I think one of the most pernicious things is that we think we're helping people by doing this in the same way in the fifties, we'd be like, Oh, we, we have to be mean to gay people. So they stop this lifestyle. Well, that's not how it works. And it's not helpful to treat people that way. And yet, you know, people that should know better, people with PhDs are still prescribing, we should be as mean as possible to motivate people. And we know from all kinds of literature that that doesn't work. Right. It actually just kind of exacerbates it and creates it and makes it even worse. And and so really starting to get to a point where we're embracing everybody how they are. Yeah. And it's really not... I don't know. I mean, people are worried about this idea that you're somehow glorifying obesity. That's a phrase that comes up a lot. And it's, you know, nobody ever considers how much damage we're doing by glorifying thinness and by glorifying conventional attractiveness. I think that idea does so much damage. And I quoted in the article that nearly half of three to six-year-old girls are worried about their weight. And that's something because we glorify thinness. That's a marker of glorifying thinness. And if we were this idea that, you know, somehow if we're nice to people, then we're going to glorify obesity is just, I mean, that's not a moral standard that we apply to any other issue. You can just be nice to people regardless of thinking of maybe, you know, I have to be mean to them to make the world a better place. I'm the real heroes by me shouting at somebody from my car that they should go on a diet. I mean, just completely upside down. And you had said something in the article too that kind of struck me about how this is kind of a the marginalized population that can't even speak out for themselves. Yeah, I mean, one thing that many people have pointed out since the article came out is that everything in my article, this is absolutely true, everything in my article has been said by fat people for decades. I mean, in the early 90s, there were fat people putting out books, there were fat people putting out memoirs. There were fat acceptance folks in the 1970s saying the health effects are not as simple as you've been led to believe. My habits are none of your business, et cetera. And there is a sort of laundering that takes place because they see that I'm a thin guy. I'm thin, I'm white, I appear affluent, I guess, because the only photos of me that are online are my LinkedIn photos and I'm wearing a suit. And so people are like, oh, like he has taken a impartial view of the science and he's writing about this not from any biased viewpoint. Whereas if Lindy West or some other larger person had written word for word the same article, I have a feeling it would have been much easier to discredit because she's just defending, she's glorifying the way that she looks. She's using this as an excuse to keep looking like her. And I don't get those criticisms, which is Fat people point out that it's completely unfair that I now am getting credit for these ideas that are not mine. I'm just kind of taking them and putting them all in one place. But fat people are not allowed to talk about this because it's it's them glorifying their own obesity. And fat people, they're defending their eating habits as if we even know what their eating habits are by their size. But there's a way of discrediting people. Right. And I think that like goes, I remember listening to an interview with one of the he, he had been a contestant on one of those weight loss shows. I can't remember which one, but just the science of how the body works and how after, you know, he did all this work and did everything he said and lost all this weight and 
and was so good that his body kind of put it back on. Yeah. And the personal shame that he held about that. Uh, oh, and the self torture from the interview, it sounds like he was able to kind of transcend that. But for a while, some people even, you know, think it's not worth living if I'm obese. I, yeah. I mean, the suicide rate of obese people is much higher than skinny people. And yeah. that's not that's not a result of their size. That's a result of the way that the world treats them. And I I watched my mom go through this a number of times when I was growing up. I remember her at her lowest weight and how happy she was and how she started putting it back on slowly and how terrible she felt. And that leads to, you know, you get increasingly desperate. You're noticing how people are starting to change. You're noticing people congratulate you on the weight loss. And then those comments go silent after a while and you start to feel bad about yourself. And then one woman I spoke to talked about how you're in the visible range, you're visible to people when you're thin and then you're invisible as you gain weight. And so she watched herself become invisible. And then once you get to a certain size, she said, you become visible again, that you start getting really negative comments from people in the grocery store. And so she lost a little bit of weight to be, to stay in the invisible range. And she talks about herself in the invisible range. She's like, people don't look at me when I go into stores. People don't look at me when I'm in the grocery store. People, I am invisible now. And she's been all three of those things, right? Visible skinny, visible fat, and invisible in the middle. And the psychic toll that that takes on people is really profound. And I think one of the things that is so interesting about you know the science of dieting is that it fails 95% of the time. And we sort of know this and everybody kind of knows, it's kind of a cliche, ah, diets don't work, blah, blah, blah. But we don't think about the harm that diets do, that telling, I mean, I talk to people who their doctor tells them to lose a hundred pounds and that's completely impossible. And what happens in all of these cases is you do something totally unsustainable, right? You go to the cabbage soup diet or the grapefruit diet or something completely nuts. And your doctor tells you it's fine, which they shouldn't. You lose a ton of weight because that's how the body responds to calorie restriction. And then your body fights back and your body blasts you with hunger hormones and your metabolism slows down and you're exercising four days a week and you're eating really well and you're gaining weight because your body is fighting everything. You have no energy. You know, people talk about being fatigued all through the day. Your head is foggy. You start to gain the weight back and then you feel like, why don't I have the willpower? Why can't I do this? Why am I so lazy? Why am I so terrible? And it's all this really negative self-talk. Whereas if you went in to your doctor and your doctor just said, let's work on your habits. How are your habits? Let's, you know, maybe try not to drink sodas if you are drinking sodas. Maybe go on a walk with your friends rather than going to a bakery. Like little things and maybe you lose some weight or maybe you won't, but you can work on your health and it's so much better for you than losing 40 pounds and then gaining it back. It's bad for your metabolism. It's super bad for your mental health. And I mean, one of the things my mom t told me when I, we finally talked about this last year when I started working on the article was that when she was in her 20s, she thought she was 20 pounds overweight, which you look back on her now and she looked great, but she thought she was 20 pounds overweight. And she did these desperate, you know, increasingly desperate things to lose those quote unquote last 20 pounds. And no one ever told her like, hey, you're fine. Like, it's fine to be 20 pounds. You know, it's fine to be the size that you are. Like, improve your habits if they're bad. And do, you know, live the best life that you can, but just don't worry about it. And a doctor, doctors are not allowed to say that to people. Doctors do not let themselves say that to people. That's never the rhetoric that you hear from doctors. It's always, no, I have to bring up my weight with my patients and we have to tell them the truth and their cardiovascular disease. But they never think about the health effects of someone in her 20s 
dieting for the next 20 years of her life and what that's going to do to her once she's in her 40s, which is basically what happened to my mom. And she's still really angry. And then beating yourself up because you haven't mastered whatever this thing is, which is a lot of it's out of your control anyway. Totally. And, you know, this is one of those things that Mm -hmm. people talk about. Lots of people gain weight on medications that they're taking. Lots of people gain weight after they have a second kid because having kids completely scrambles your hormone system. So it's literally impossible to lose weight for a lot of people after they have a kid. And yet, of course, the rhetoric is always that they're not trying hard enough or they need to lose the baby weight, blah, blah, blah. When we don't really take into account that, you know, people's bodies are different and some people just simply can't do it. And it's it's fine to live the best life in the body that you have. It's actually fine. I, I think what I really loved about your article is it gave a, to me, it struck me having dealt with this issue and, and deal with this issue, it really gave a, a voice to people that in some ways don't have a voice, no matter what. And even if they do speak up, they're just fat shamed again. That's the thing. It's so rare. I've been doing all these interviews this week with various radio stations that want to talk to me about the article and they'll have me on and then they'll bring on a weight loss doctor and they'll kind of structure it as a debate, right? That here's Michael Hobbs. He wrote this article saying fat people are fine. Now we have a doctor who says fat people aren't fine. And then all of a sudden we're sort of, I don't know, trying to score points or having this debate. And very few of them, only one has brought on a fat person to talk about their experience. We don't hear from fat people. And so we've got a skinny writer, me, and a skinny doctor debating the existence of fat people and how we should do it. And we're not interested in hearing from fat people and all the diversity of fat people. It's now, what, 160 million Americans are classified as overweight or obese on the, I mean, we all know the BMI scale is terrible, but that's the classification. Like, well, let's talk to some of them. They're like, they're pretty diverse. I mean, it, it sounds like really your article is, is it, it's about the emotional impact that as a society, we project onto people who are fat or obese or whatever. And that psychological toll that no one talks about and is often completely unseen. Yeah. Most of these people, and I know myself included, suffer just in silence. Totally. I mean, we don't say anything. We don't, we just do it. We, we do all of those behaviors, high, you know, not knowing should I eat that in front of these people or should I just not eat anything? If I don't eat anything, I mean, then they're going to, you know, and just living with that constant voice and, it being constantly projected by our culture, it's extremely painful right. and a hard, hard place to live in. And it's really, really sad. You know, One of the things, I wrote this article a couple of years ago about high rates of suicide and depression among gay men. And one thing that came up was that being in the closet is really bad for you because the stress of sort of looking at your surroundings and who knows that I'm gay? Are they suspicious that I'm gay? Can I hold hands with my boyfriend on this street or this other street? That questioning, that ambivalence, ambiguity is really bad for you, that you're putting yourself in a stress state. And I heard the same thing from fat people, that you know somebody brings bagels to a work meeting. Well, should I reach for one? Then everyone's gonna be like, ooh, the fat lady wants a bagel. But if I don't reach for one, they're like, ooh, the fat lady's trying to slim down. You know, and you're you're kind of like reaching and then not reaching, and should I do this? And it's really, this is one of the things that that stigma researchers say is that this process of stigma resistance, which is a whole field, that you need to, what helps is to get rid of that ambiguity and to, even if there's still bullies in your life, standing up to a bully makes you feel good and expressing your needs 
makes you feel good and gives you physical mental benefits to say, hey, I need a bigger chair. And if somebody says, oh, because you're too fat for that one, it's like, well, yeah, I'm too big for that chair. Basically, fuck you. This is me. I need a bigger chair. And standing up for yourself has huge benefits. And a lot of fat people just don't get that opportunity. Or especially their skinny friends don't help them with this. One of the women I interviewed says that when she goes to a restaurant, her skinny friends will say, my friend can't fit into that booth. We need a table. And it's not a big deal. She's like, they've known her for years. It's not a big deal. They're like, oh, she can't fit in there. And that is huge. Just having the support of, no, I have three or four people around me that know what I, you know, what physical spaces suit me and which ones don't. And they're willing to stand up for me. I mean, she said, you know, she cries when her friends do this because it's so meaningful that they just take her basic humanity seriously. And it's so rare for skinny people to stick up for fat people and just say, look, this is not a nice way to treat somebody. Absolutely. And I think that's so true. Something else that really kind of struck me is how fat people can be so mean to other fat people. Oh yeah, it's so it's terrible. It makes me so sad. Yeah. And and how I mean, that's I think really the own our our own internal shame about how we feel about our bodies. We project it out on I think so too, onto yeah. other people. But that also struck me too. And you know, just skinny culture, man. I mean, this the fear of being fat and this propaganda about if you're fat, you must be lazy and you must be drinking five sodas a day. It infects everybody. It infects People before they become fat, it infects people after they become fat, it infects young people and old people. I mean, we're all walking around with these assumptions. And so lots of people think that being fat is a temporary state. Lots of people, I mean, there's, I, I even interviewed some folks like this who are, you know, so convinced that fat means lazy that they think they are lazy, right? That they'll talk about my mom was fat and my three sisters are fat. Oh, but I'm fat because I'm lazy, right? I'm not trying hard enough. And it's like, well, it's kind of sounds like you were, this is just sort of genetically your size. This is like the normal size for you. But they still have this self-talk, this self-shaming that I have to be lazy like this. And many of them have been fat since they were five or six years old. And they were just genetically in their frame. They were never going to be that small, but they still carry around this guilt about the size that they really don't control that much. And it just sucks. I mean, I, I, when you're writing about a, a minority group that you're not a part of, you know, it's really hard to make any sweeping generalizations or to, to speak about them in a very sensitive way. But it just like broke my heart hearing these people talk about themselves in this negative way. It just sucks. And I think even, even you saying this, you know, writing about this minority population identifies it. Because what you said earlier is so much when you're struggling with obesity being invisible mm. and not being able to have a voice. And and I think by you being able to say that, like there is this group of people, I think is really powerful and can kind of call it out. I think it's really important to listen to fat people. I mean, there's huge communities online, there's communities in person, there's meetups of people that are basically reclaiming this idea that it's fine to be your size. And it's a huge thing of finding a community is just people that believe you. When you talk about a doctor that treated you like shit, people will say, I'm so sorry, rather than, oh, are you sure he was really reacting to your size? Isn't your size related to your migraine? Blah, blah, blah. This kind of subtle shaming or subtle delegitimizing of your experience that it's really important as any minority group to find people that just get it and that can 
help you with whatever you're struggling with and and really believe you and validate you in some way. And fat people don't have those communities right now. I mean, there's some of those they're forming online. Social media has been great, but that hasn't really coalesced into a big, you know, there's nothing like the gay community. You know, when I came out, I live in Seattle. There's like a whole neighborhood full of gay people that I can go and hang out in. And there's social services and there's this whole economy of things that are available to me. But as a fat person, mostly because people consider it to be a temporary condition, there aren't, there just isn't that infrastructure for fat people. We don't know what coming out as a fat person looks like. We don't know how to have those conversations with family and friends. People are not trained in how to deal with the different size needs. You know, people at restaurants, as far as not assigning booths, that kind of thing. People just, the world is still kind of doesn't offer any of those things for fat people, which again is crazy because we know that Americans are a lot larger than they used to be. This is a very sizable percentage of the American population. And yet we've put in place no infrastructure. Right. Definitely. I think that's so true. So kind of coming up on our time, what do you hope your article does or what do you hope that it its outcome is? I mean, I try, this sounds really wanky, but I try to do kind of like empathy journalism of just talking to people and trying to humanize groups and experiences that we may not know about or we may not know their experiences. And I think the biggest thing is you can talk about this with fat people or gay people or trans people or anybody else is just, you know, assume that there's a lot more diversity within a group than you think there is, right? That you can say, oh, fat people need to drop, stop drinking mm-hmm. soda. Well, there's actually, you know, we're talking about 160 million Americans. So some of them drink soda and some of them don't. And so right. I think just Generally, I always get really frustrated at how, you know, we just went through this 30-year process with gay people where it's like gay people are terrible. Then like, oh, my cousin John is gay. Maybe gay people aren't so terrible. And then it's like, oh, well, now there's these trans people. Oh, they're terrible. And it's like, well, do we really have to go through this again? Like, do you really need a trans cousin to be like, well, actually, maybe trans people are fine. And do you really need someone to really pull you aside and say, I'm fat and I'm nice? To be right. like, oh, fat people can be nice too. I wish that we could have some sort of shift of just like, what if everyone <laughs> can be nice? Like, what if everyone, we can be capable of being nice to everybody, regardless of whether we empathize directly with their personal circumstances? Like, it's not that difficult. And yet here we are once again, where it's like, all right, there's another group. These are people too. And we have to, you know, we have to kind of walk people through this whole thing slowly. I'd, I'd like it if we could just assume that, people are capable of being nice regardless. Well, I really loved your article because it did speak to me on a very empathetic level. So for me, it was very successful because I could really relate to it and and, and understand what you were saying. And I could definitely empathize with the, the people that you interviewed in there and their stories. So I really appreciated it. Is this, can I ask, is this something that you brought up with people? Like, you know, do you mind changing the way that you talk about me or can we talk about this differently? Well, I'm looking at that, you know, I think that's something definitely like exploring how to do that. Mm -hmm. And definitely, I mean, I think this struck me in a way of kind of like realizing some of it that I didn't even see in myself, if that makes sense, like reading your article Mm -hmm. and kind of like thinking about how, how do I handle that for myself? So, I mean, I think that's why I wanted to reach out to you. And this is such a personal topic for me, but it really helped me kind of explore 
my own journey with how I talk to myself in a way, if that makes sense. And, you know, saying, wait a minute, society can do this, but I can also do this to myself. And being able to kind of think about how I how I want to change that dialogue. Have you, yeah, I mean, what's that been like so far? Have you, what does that look like so far? So, so for me, I think that more looks like a lot more just self-acceptance. Mm. And also reading your article is, I'm not alone in this. Right. You know what I mean? I'm not alone. There are other people who totally understand. And having that story validated mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful. And that, and that's why I really appreciated it a lot and why I wanted you to come on. Because, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not alone out there in this. Because obesity or fatness or whatever you want to call it, it's like this hidden but visible shame. Right. I don't know how to, you know, they both kind of coexist. No, totally true, yeah. They coexist, and I think that's what's so difficult about it, too. And when you live in a society that um, you're obese in any way, you're getting it all the time, you know, subconsciously everywhere. Yeah. And it's kind of realizing that and then deciding, how do I want to talk to myself about this? So I'm also helping, you know, my hope is that anybody who's listening to this podcast can also have that same kind of feeling that I had, which is, you're not alone out there. Be kind to yourself right? and go as we kind of discover this journey where we're going with this and right. creating more goodness in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's something interesting about there's not very many places for larger dudes. But there's some, I think the world is much meaner to larger ladies than larger dudes just because we oh, judge I, women on their looks all the time. But there's without also, there's some gendered aspects to this where it's also easier for women to talk about this in a way. And the the fat acceptance community is mostly women. That's it's very noticeable. And I think a lot of that comes back to the ways that it's just not okay for men to talk about this or there aren't places where men can talk about this of, you know, oh, how definitely. do you deal with stigma? How do you deal with family? Mm-hmm. What are the male coded ways to talk about this? And I think it really is difficult to find that community because there's some very specific ways that men are affected by this. And I don't know if there's Reddit communities or like, I don't know where those communities are forming, but I'm sure that there are some somewhere. I'm sure there are and and there and there are forming. And I think that's absolutely right. I think for men and women, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. And um, the way in which it all works is different. There are a lot of similarities, yeah. but you know, there's also a lot of differences. So yeah, yeah. But I, I wanted to thank you for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast and and sharing the story and being willing to talk about it. I mean, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It means a lot to me. So how, how can if anybody wants to know more about you and your writing and your story, how can they find you? I'm on Twitter. I'm rotten in Denmark on Twitter. That's probably a good place to start. And um, listen to my podcast. You're wrong about. All right. Awesome. And I will put all that stuff in the show notes as well. And Michael, once again, thanks for coming on and having this conversation. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You can find all the show notes at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 52. Once again, if you are liking the Addicted Mind, please rate and review us in iTunes. I really appreciate it. And it really helps get the Addicted Mind exposure so other people can find this information and benefit from it. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will see you next time.
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.